Shine.fm presents Stronger Together, a show about growing in marriage, parenting, relationships, and community. Here's Seth Tower Hurt. Probably the only time in my life I'm going to say this with Dr. Karen Cassidy, a former Animal Planet <laughs> TV personality, <laughs> which is not the topic we're going to get into. Yeah. But I mean, it's just... You don't meet a lot of people who had a, a show about animal hoarding. And by the way, your stance is you probably shouldn't animal hoard, correct? That, that's Absolutely. That's the summary of the show? Yes. Yeah. The summary of the show is it's a mental health problem that needs to be treated as such. And we do not recommend animal hoarding for anyone. Okay. So we are a no <laughs> animal hoarding radio yeah. station. Right. <laughs> yeah. You are... In addition to um, you know a practicing mental health professional in the in the mm-hmm. Chicagoland area, uh, you're also the president of. Can can you help me with the title yeah, here? Because the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Okay, so expert in this, I want to get into. We're in October. Mm-hmm. This is the time when like the shiny newness of the school year has worn off for kids and parents alike, and then all of a sudden. This is a grind, and it's a grind for younger and younger kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually want to start with one of my cl- very close friends. Mm-hmm. When his son was uh, probably nine, mm-hmm. his oldest, they decided not to do travel baseball. Like, hey, one baseball season's enough. And another parent came to him and basically accused him of child abuse. He's like, well, what about your son's future? And my friend's on, on several businesses, and is like, his future is I can give him a business when he's 18 years old to manage. <laughs> There's a future for you, you know? Uh, but we we are seeing this this pressure in American society earlier and earlier of if your kid is not a standout athlete, um, you know, who is uh, an accomplished musician, who is in journalism and the mock UN, well, then they're probably not even going to get into junior college and will not have any kind of future whatsoever. And it'll be your fault. <laughs> I mean, right. That's like the attitude now. And it, the pressure on children and then in, in turn their parents is getting greater at a younger age. Am am I right about this? You're absolutely right. What we've seen over the past 30 years is that the culture for parenting, uh, both within the church and outside the church, has become overprotective and overcontrolling. And by that, what we mean is that parents are overemphasizing that you have to um, be good, be special, be bright, and capable, uh, and that you can't make mistakes, you can't learn from mistakes, and that you need a parent to help you negotiate life and negotiate your problems. And then parents are over-involved. And so we see parents helping with homework, writing papers, helping with college application essays, um, spending hours and money on special tutors for sports, for foreign language, for all kinds of things, and starting as young as preschool. And we also see this in the homeschooling environment, where we see parents um, accidentally overprotecting children and saying, I want them not to have any difficult experiences with peers. I want them only to have the shelter of the home and the church. And then their child fails to learn how to adapt to the environment. And the problem with this kind of parenting, where people are worried about being friends with their kids, having them be happy that we see children miss out on very important developmental experiences that prepare them for adulthood. And the things that every kid needs to learn is that I can survive mistakes. Um, I'm not good at everything, but I can keep trying and enjoying life. Um, What really matters is my relationships, not outward success. 
And that what matters about me is the kind of person I am rather than the stuff I do or the trophies I win. Yeah. And I've noticed as I move through adulthood, nobody asked me if I can throw a curveball. Nobody asked me if I was good at youth theater. Yes. (laughs) I I think that those are obviously very enriching experiences Mm -hmm. and we don't want to want to take those away. Um, But but it is, you know, if I can share an experience, I I got a chance to teach college at a relatively young age. I was a 29 year old professor, Mm -hmm. you know, with sometimes students who had gone back to school and I had, I remember having a 25 year old student whose mom called me. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, yes. okay, I'm four years older yeah. than your daughter. And like, yeah, something right. went wrong here, right? Yes. Like I, something went wrong. And so Absolutely. how this translates down to, you know, two, three, four, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. um, this, this means that that if you don't want a 25 year old that needs their mom to get through college, that you're not setting kids up to always have a perfect environment. Is this what I hear you saying back exactly, to me? Exactly. Exactly. And I have a sister um, who's an Ivy league professor and she gets calls from parents and, and that's kind of a shock because you like to think Ivy league kids are more capable than others. And we find they have um, the same problems. So the thing that we see that makes for good parenting is that you have to let your kid have challenges. And you have to let them suffer. And they have to learn that being upset, being frustrated, being disappointed is no big deal. And it's just normal in a day. And one of the things that we see happening in the school system, um, in our culture, uh, pastors have this happen, is if someone feels like their child uh, had their feelings hurt, the parent will swoop in, they'll try and get adults involved. And unfortunately, that disempowers the child. Is the loud message it sends is you're too fragile, honey. You need a grown-up to help you, and this is a disaster. When um, the truth is, when we look at national statistics, seventy um, percent of seventh graders engage in bullying behavior. So we're not talking about just ordinary teaching, like nasty behavior. Um, and so that is that's hard for me to get my head around. So it's like kids that are are the bullies and are being bullied yes. at the same time. And it's Absolutely. this horrible vortex yes. of it just spins around and around and right. around. Right, right. And what research has shown us is that um, the more we have an adult intervene and come in, you know, so they have the, these interventions where tell a teacher, um, tell a parent, the more uh, get the police involved, the more we find out the bullying gets worse and kids get more sensitive and less able to manage the rough and tumble of the playground and of the school. And instead, we find the interventions that work best is you teach the kid how to handle it by just going, oh, well, and learning how to be friendly and not let it get to them. And we found that as the single most effective intervention as opposed to we um, have an assembly and we tell everybody we're stamping out bullying and we have signs everywhere. Uh, and I was really fortunate as a kid when I, um, my dad was in the Air Force and we moved all the time. And I was frequently living in countries where Americans were unpopular because it was during the Vietnam War. And I got picked on mercilessly. And there's one little country school in England where a kid had ripped my clothes, my book bag, was a real beast to me. My dad taught me how to do a judo flip and how to say something very sassy to this kid. And he said, the (laughs) next time this kid does this to you, you make sure everybody can see and you do this. And so this kid's nickname was Beefy. Beefy came after me. It was on the playground during recess. And I flipped him 
and he, it was like a movie scene where he flipped over on his back. There was a cloud of dust. And then I said something very rude and nasty and he never bothered me again. And no one bothered me again. And the most important thing actually was what happened inside of me was my dad taught me. It's up to you to handle the social world. It's not a parent's job. And you can stand up for yourself. You can handle a bad situation. And the rest of my life, that gave me confidence. And it may not have been a particularly Christian way to handle it, but it sent the message that we see now helps kids, which is, I know you can do it. I expect you to do it. And it's okay if you screw up when you're doing it. You're going to learn and get better. And that's whether it's kids teasing, whether it's a teacher who doesn't seem to grade you fairly, um, not getting picked for you know the position that you wanted on the team. Um, we suggest parents stand back and let their kids handle it. Okay. Wow. And, that, and that's so different than I feel like what I've heard my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, in fact, one, this type of parenting where you get over-involved, we know, is a risk factor, a very big risk factor for anxiety and depression. And if you want to make it easier for a kid to get anxious or depressed, then what you do is you communicate to them that you have to do very well all the time, that you need to constantly be improving, and that you have to work really hard, and you help them become perfectionistic, where they have a very narrow definition of success and an overemphasis on the significance of mistakes, and it sets the stage for anxiety and depression. And um, sadly, in my career, the rates for anxiety and depression have increased for children as um, parenting has focused on having a close attachment where everyone makes someone happy and on getting over-involved because your kid is so special. Uh, So, you know, I try to tell families, uh, you know, look, when you came to see me, you didn't ask what my grade point average was or which university you went. You asked other people, could I help you? And life is about the relationships you do, whether you're effective every day, and making grades is pretty much irrelevant uh, in the long run. Yeah. You know, as I've kind of stepped out into a a different season of my Mm -hmm. life and business, I, you know, will be transparent about the fact that I grew up um, with a mother in a pretty emotionally abusive household and um, had, you know, in seventh grade was being yelled at and kept up till midnight till I could get like perfect math scores, mm-hmm. which kind of had the opposite effect where I would fall apart then in math. Absolutely. Um, and I actually did. I mean, I you know, wound up being the, the valedictorian of my high school class. Mm-hmm. I was a two sport varsity athlete, captain of the basketball team, full ride to college. But I also was just like tied up like a knot. And and then when I get out and get into the business world, I find out that like when you own your own business, well, those things you're bad at, you can just pay other people to do and be successful while you're successful. Yes. Yes. Um, And that that isn't a a message that I I felt like I got in the church, in school, anywhere else, anywhere else growing up that... The point isn't to be good at everything all the time. Um, right. You know, and I, I think I probably by the time I was in second or third grade, I was a very driven kid. And I just, you know, I, to kind of quote every football movie ever made, it's like, well, if you quit today, you quit every day for the rest of your life. Right. And then, and that's not true. That's Hollywood. Right. Right. And and this is the thing that I see is so sad is there is this sort of anxious message that if you don't do amazing things before you get out of high school, then your whole future will fail. And you've got to somehow be extraordinary. And the truth is, 
you know, the way God made us, the only thing we can be extraordinary at is being ourselves. And that means we're full of limitations, things we're not good at, and we have unique things that we're good at. And then the other thing that I see that's so true is this idea that through our weakness, he is made strong. And oftentimes it's those mistakes you make that really build your character. And mm -hmm. it's the mistakes where you learn the most. And we, in fact, we found um, through research that if someone takes a test and they score 100, they remember less of it than if they made some mistakes. Because when they come wow. back and they see those mistakes, they're more likely to remember and learn the thing that they got wrong. And so uh, there's a message in that for parents and for kids, which is the goal isn't to be perfect. It's just to keep learning and adapting and growing. Wow. Um, the other thing that is fascinating is um, there's a field of positive psychology that is relatively new on the, in the scientific domain, and it's a study of what makes people well, what makes them successful. And we're finding the biggest predictor of success is when someone is happy. And when someone's happy, what we see is they are not perfectionistic. Um, they have this very flexible view of mistakes and themselves, and they're able to be grateful every day for little things. And they actually see the blessing in things going wrong. They realize there's something in it here that could be learned and that no moment is lost in my life. And so it's not being ha 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 happy. It's having a perspective that's optimistic, that's flexible, that allows for mistakes. And the reality is the only way you're going to get good at that is you have to make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you have to practice. And no one wants to hear that. And, you know, speaking as a parent, it is hard if your kid comes home and says, everyone got invited to the birthday party except me. Or um, I'm the only one that the teacher didn't put my picture on the wall. Or to go to the parent-teacher conference and have, you know, the kind of comments I got because one of my kids is disabled and the other one is uh, bright but quirky. And uh, comments like, I never uh, know exactly what your son's going to say in class. It's always a surprise. And to worry somewhat because of the culture going, well, boy, you know, how is this going to, you know, play out in life? But I remind myself, and the more my kids know who they are and that it's just okay, the better they're going to do. And the more they have struggles, the more blessed they're going to be as adults. Mm -hmm. Um so as parents, we ought to pray for mistakes. We ought to pray for struggles. If your kid's scared of being rejected, they need to practice getting rejected. Yeah. Okay. I know everybody has things they're actually before they actually have kids. You know, I'm fairly mm -hmm. recently married, so we're kind of getting into that stage. What I have looked back at my own childhood mm -hmm. and seen is, and this, I could, you're the expert. You can tell me if I'm totally wrong. Yeah. But I look back and I remember this really vividly. This time in second grade where we had to cut out like different pieces of paper and make a leprechaun and color it. And I was just like, this is the dumbest thing ever. This is the dumbest. I mean, I, I'm seven being like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I can't believe we're doing this. This is so pointless in life. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I never succeeded at art. I never will succeed at art. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think in second grade, and then I remember in seventh grade, it was like mandatory again. And, yeah. uh, you know, the art teacher was told my parents, well, you know, he really needs to improve. And uh, no, I didn't. I just, <laughs> right. No, I didn't. <laughs> right. And so my thought on it is that, you know, as my wife and I kind of get into the, the parenthood stage of life, like, 
you know, especially when you got young kids, like, well, you know, needs improvement. Well, mm-hmm. maybe not. Right. I mean, is that okay? Absolutely. And, and that's a, a lovely analogy is because everyone is going to have things they just don't do well at no matter how hard they practice. And it's going to feel like torture. And if you're a wise parent or a wise person yourself, you're going to realize, I don't want to try and make my life based on this. I just need to learn how to get through it and work around it. And I know for myself, math is my nemesis. It was very hard for me, and it almost kept me out of graduate school. But as you said, I have an accountant who's an office manager. Um, I have other people do my taxes. I use that little tip calculator thing app on my (laughs) phone, and I know not to do mental math because it's just not going to work out right. And that doesn't make me stupid. It doesn't make me unsuccessful. It just means I don't do well at math. Yeah. When I, uh, before smartphones, yes, I, I would get nervous because I'm like, people are looking at me and figuring out how long it's taking me to figure the tip. Yes. yes. <laughs> Which I don't think anybody cared. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, so let's get practical here. This conversation is becoming more and more important in whether you have a kindergarten or even a preschool or junior high, high school, mm-hmm. and, and even into helping your kids become adults through the college experience. Where do you put the brakes on? Uh, Because if it's other people who are are allowed to set the tone for your family, Mm -hmm. your kids will be in 140 million hours of activities a week because somebody always thinks, oh, well, they, you know, Mm -hmm. why don't, why don't you, you know, why don't they try another sport? Why don't they try another instrument? Why don't they try theater? And at or, some point, like, where does yeah. childhood fit, like, yeah. in, in all this? So, how do you tap the brakes, and how do you how do you get a tone on where your kids are at, as far as like, are they handling it now? But man, one more semester of this, and they're really going to be fried out, and they're going to wind up hating everything they're doing. Yeah, well, that that's a great question, and there are good guidelines. So, the first thing we do is let the child um, direct their interests. So if they show an interest in something, then let them try it out and accept the fact that it's okay if they do four months of guitar and give it up. Don't make them do it just because they're good. Um, <laughs> you will now play for the next 30 years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and so let them see, you know, does it give them joy? Is it fun? So that's the first thing is you want to approach these different activities and things like it's fun. And let me, let me cut in right there mm-hmm. because, man, you know, you've done so much uh, work on like national television explaining complex psychological Mm -hmm. um, like ideas to all these different outlets does it damage a child like what do we know from the research does it damage a child to try baseball or soccer or guitar or cello for three or four weeks or two months and quit midway through do they need to kind of finish a cycle of it to see if they like it or is it just it's okay if you hate something It's okay if you hate something if it's just a hobby. It's just a fun thing. The thing you do want to teach kid is there's chores and there's there's a job. And the job a child has is to go to school and to learn chores and to learn how to take care of themselves and to become an independent adult. So by the latter half of high school, we expect kids to make their own doctor appointments, to figure out how to take their own medicine to be able to drive, um, to be able to figure out how to get places. Uh, we expect them to fill out their own college application all by themselves. Um, by middle school, we expect kids to do their homework every night without having to be told or someone needs to make sure they learn that. 
uh, we see that when kids have chores, we have a better outcome psychologically. So if your kids don't have regular chores, then that's a mistake. Um, and by that, I mean they should do chores whether or not they have final exams, whether or not it's extra work. They need to learn how to keep things going just like an adult does, uh, whether or not you're doing your work. Um, the time where it's good to have them persist is when it's something that they've made a commitment to. So let's say your child is in fifth grade, they're on the baseball team, and they've been doing it for a couple of years, and halfway through the season they decide they don't like it. At that age, I'd say, you know, your teammates need you. You need to finish, and then we'll be done with baseball after this. Okay. But when they're young, um, in early elementary school, I just let them try it in short spurts. And then um, if your kid really hates it, don't worry about it. Uh, it's, it's not just, that big a deal. And then the other thing we recommend or that we want people to know, um, is research shows homework does not improve learning. And so if your kid is doing so much homework that they feel like they can't do fun things, they can't have casual unscheduled time, they're doing too much. And you need to ask, why am I letting them be in this advanced placement class in their freshman or sophomore or junior year? What's the point? Uh, why do we have to hurry it up? Um, and so we like to see if kids can get full sleep, they have to have unstructured time. They have to have play time and casual time with peers. We found if you want to develop creativity and problem solving skills, you must have time where you've been bored in your life. And research shows boredom is very healthy and it helps people develop the ability to be their own best company and their own best creative genius for work or other uh, pursuits they have when they're an adult. So if every moment is scheduled up and there's not enough sleep, that's a mistake. And even if the kid says, I have to do this, I won't get into college, look what all my friends are doing, um, we hold the line hard and say, no, this is not good for you. Right. I wish I would have you know, you know, screenshot the article or something, but it was one of the big newspapers, USA Today, Washington Post, somewhere in there. That just said there is more child anxiety earlier than we've ever seen before. Yes, yes. And that's a tragic truth. And we see partly what's happening is kids are realizing their parents want them to be happy and they feel pressured. And parents want them to be special and successful. And kids are smart. They know they actually aren't that great. <laughs> and, and they know that they screw up, um, but they know their parents want to perceive them a certain way. And then they go to a school that says our scores are the best, um, or we need to raise all our standardized scores, or you have to do this if you want to go into the special class. If you don't make it into the special class, your parents or your teachers will be disappointed. And so there's this constant, constant pressure where they're feeling like I'm letting everyone down if I don't perform. And instead, a better approach would be to say, I want to teach a kid, I want you to explore. I want you to be willing to explore life, to explore school, to explore your interests. And I want you to take risks. And I want you to screw up big because then I know you're really living. And I'm not worried about that. Um, I'm sure you'll recover. And that means if your kid makes a mistake at school, you send them in and tell them, you go apologize, and you do it without me helping you. Um, if you have a problem with the teacher, you go talk to the teacher. The parent doesn't talk with the teacher. 
And that gives your child the confidence and the ability to control their own fate as opposed to always living for approval. I tell you what, that really does sound um, like it sounds like a magical childhood. It sounds like that, like the kind of childhood you want to share, like later on when you're yeah. talking about memories yeah. with your friends. And I, I don't know that, you know, if you've got kids in third grade that are, are run to death in whatever activity they're going mm-hmm. to get together as adults and say, remember that time we were shuffled from van to van and ate very, very quickly at Subway and had to get to the next activity. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, that just sounds like if you're doing that all the time, you know, you may have kids in proximity, but like, where are those serendipitous moments that make friendships so special? Exactly. Yeah, because in order to have good relationships, you need unstructured time where uh, you can meander in the conversation, in the activity, and share time together and not just have everything be a productive activity. Because uh, one of the things that I see with a lot of the youth I work with and college adults or college kids is they don't know how to have recreational time and they're scared to be alone because they've always been with other people, always in an organized activity, and they don't know the joys and the pleasures of solitude or of just hanging out with people and having no particular plan other than to hang out and enjoy each other. And so we really have to recapture that um, all yeah. the way through a child's development years for them to yeah. transition into adulthood, really. Right, right. Most kids are born knowing how to do this, and then we sort of structure it out of them. Uh, you know, the other thing I would say is we've got to guard kids' sleep. And nationally, we know that your average teenager is shy one and a half to two hours of sleep every night. And that's catastrophic in terms of your mental health because it means you're going to feel um, flat. You're more likely to get anxious, to feel depressed, to not be able to concentrate. And the mistake we see a lot of families making is this idea of mom and dad get home late. We need everyone together for this late family meal. Or we're going to let them do hockey practice at 9 o'clock at night and they're only in third grade because, gosh, that's the only time they can get ice time. And they might make, you know, uh, silver skates or something. Um, (laughs) Or I've got to get them up extra early to go do their figure skating lesson or their dance lesson or we're going to ACT class after school, and then we've got to go to sports practice, and then we've got to do homework. And, you know, honestly, when I look at a lot of the kids' lives I have, I don't know how they live them. Um, Because I see many of the high school kids I have, they're getting five and a half, six and a half hours of sleep, and they don't even know what it's like to feel well-rested. And so I would suggest to all families that one thing you've got to do is plan your sleep first, and then fit in other stuff as it makes sense rather than trying to see how much sleep deprivation you can get away with. That Wow. That's a really memorable picture right there. Um, So if you do find yourself in this, you're listening to this and you're like, Whoa, this is us, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I mean, is this ripped the bandaid off? Is this (laughs) (laughs) like, how how do you pare down? Um, But what I suggest to families when, when this is happening is to start first with finding out, okay, what's the least important activity that we could get rid of or commitment and how
how could we have some unstructured time in the week with our family? Because what I see with so many families is it just feels like it's a helter-skelter rush as soon as school ends. And to try and look at, you know, can we join a different type of team? Do we have to be on the travel team? Do we have to be in the accelerated track? Because honestly, um, your kid is still going to get into college. And we don't see a big advantage if you go to a very fancy six-star college versus a three-star, four-star. The advantage is getting a degree. And the other thing that's going to be hard is the parents have to role model how to do this. And they have to learn to live their lives in a way that shows kids how to do this and also shows kids that they take time for their friends, for their unstructured time, and they aren't just about we're going to make you kids do everything and live our lives through you. So if you're buckling to peer pressure and it's, you know, you're volunteering with 37 church things and there's yep. PTA and you also, you know, are doing like bake sale stuff and, yeah. uh, you know, manning the, um, the booth at Little League um, concessions. Exactly. Your kids are probably going to fill up their own schedules because that's, that's what you just model for them. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, if your kid happens to be a real genius, they will feed, feel driven to do something, but those are few and far between. And the thing that I hear a lot of parents tell me is their kid's unique and special. But what they mean is, I think my kid's brighter than the other kids or more athletically talented. And the thing I have to tell them is, no, they're not. Um, yeah, I, one of my your best kid's friends... Your kid's just a kid. One of my best <laughs> friends growing up um, has... One of the highest IQs actually in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And finished high school early. And so if your kid is that brilliant and amazing, there will be no, I'm, I'm assuming there'll be no way to ignore it. Exactly. Like, did they just do algebra in second grade? Okay. Maybe you are a special case, but for the rest yes. of us. Right. The rest okay. of us. Yeah. We need to say we don't have to hurry up and grow up. Yeah. And they are I like, I feel like that takes away like the, our, the value of our creator God to say, well, like, well, you're great if you're good at writing or history or whatever right. by the, by middle school and better than the other kids. Exactly. Yeah, there's no advantage to learning to read early, to do math early. In fact, um, probably the best school system in the world is considered to be Finland. They have no homework, and their early um, curriculum is just play. Um, so if you're in kindergarten or pre-kindergarten, you're just playing outdoors. They think it's very healthy to play outdoors. And they figured it out that way. And um, you play on the playground on equipment that we now consider dangerous and that we don't allow on playgrounds because they understand kids need to take risks. They need to learn um, what their limits are. And you can't do that if someone's always catching you. You know what? And this is maybe silly, but when I was Mm -hmm. a kid, there were still high dives at public pools. And those are gone. And I was like, well, you just, you robbed a generation of children of an opportunity to conquer their fear. Exactly. I can remember that was a big thing in third grade when (laughs) best friend and I decided we were going to jump off the high dive and um, I did a belly flop. (gasps) But I was so proud of the fact that I actually stepped off that thing. But I can like feel the pain right now. (laughs) Yes, yes. It was very painful. Yeah, I also learned I probably needed to learn how to dive. (laughs) Dr. Karen Cassidy, somebody who will, you know, join us uh, I, I think many more times on Stronger Together. 
Can, how can people connect with you um, or maybe even book you in the, in the Chicagoland area? If, um, if you go to my website, anxietytreatmentcenter.com, then you can reach me or my staff and we'll be glad to work with that you. That was Stronger Together, a show about growing in marriage, parenting, relationships, and community. 